Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello and welcome to the program. My very special guest tonight is acclaimed poet Indran Avanathayagam. His newest book is Blue Window or Ventana Azul. Welcome, Indran. Welcome. Thank you, Michael. Wonderful to be back on the show. Yes, I'm, I'm glad you're back on the show. You're, you're, you're a superstar. Uh, oh, no. what, <laughs> what inspired you to write your book, your newest book? Well, you know, Blue Window came out literally from the Blue Window, which I mean by that, the window of experience, you know, the looking out at the blue sky, at the blue sea, but also at the blues inside of yourself, you know, the blues mm. born in, in love and in loss and love and in abandon and love and in obsession. I mean, it's a book of love poems, love gone wild, riotously wild. And, and I wrote the book in Latin America. I was in Peru, I was in Mexico, and I wrote it in Spanish. It's published initially as Ventana Azul in 2016 in Mexico. And then, amazing magic of poetry, I I met the poet and very accomplished translator Jennifer Rathman at a poetry festival in New York a couple of years ago. But and and sent her the book and she liked it and she wanted to translate it and so the idea uh, was born of making it a book of poems into English and which I didn't have to translate directly but I worked with her reviewed her translations and that was an interesting and very creative experience too of seeing the poems go from my Spanish through her English into into the world. Yeah. Why did you decide to write them in Spanish initially? Well, I was living in, in Spanish. I was breathing Spanish. I was Yes. I must admit I was loving in Spanish too and All right. know, so <laughs> it just it just seemed the natural thing to do. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Well please share some of your work. Thank you. I you know Someone said, I think it was Lewis Carroll, you know, begin at the beginning, then go to the end and stop. So I'll just stay, I'll just begin at the beginning. It's a big book. There won't be time really to read a lot of it, but I'll read a few of the poems. The first poem, I'll read it in the Spanish too, just to give you an idea of yes. how, how it sounds and then read the English. El, el poema se llama Sobre el Cuerpo. Escribo sobre el cuerpo porque a pesar de las nubes de olvido descubro que tengo uno todavía y se pueden alterar sus ambiciones, correr hacia arriba en el cerro, ilusionarme con amar de nuevo. On my body. I write on my body because in spite of clouds of oblivion, I find I still have one and its ambitions can be altered to run to the top of the hill, be fooled by love once again. So there it begins, be fooled by love once again. 
mm. and running to the top of the hill, you know. Love allows yes. you to run to the top of the hill. It gives you the energy, you know. Yeah, it's beautiful, so, beautiful. Yeah. Spanish is so beautiful as well. So, again, you, you read it incredibly well. Thank you, thank you. And, you know, and then I go on and I start writing about different aspects of this very powerful and life uh, giving emotion which is love and um and then there, there's a poem um i mean just to give you an idea of some of the uh the craziness of love as well i mean um this small poem una pausa hasta luego hasta la vista y no hay más tarde Voy a dormir sin darte abrazo ni apapacho, sin alimento ninguno para tu fantasía ya de antaño. A pause. Goodbye. So long. There are no more farewells. I'm going to bed without embracing or pampering you, without nourishing whatsoever your fantasy. Now gone. And, you know, I like to write sometimes the pithy poem, you know, try to bring it down to the essence if I can. And sometimes that's just a, just a few lines and to convey the idea. Here's another one. Así es. En mi conversación a solas hablo de límites, lo que el cuerpo pueda aguantar para no volar en llanto. Una copa de vino seguida por un estimulante, un té verde, alimentos que calientan el cuerpo y los que nos enfrían. Busquemos la balanza. Te extraño un montón, aunque hoy me dedico a mi hija. La pérdida anticipada de ella ya te he contado en mis poemas. Hace frío. Espero que estés bien y encuentres el amor en estos versos. Y que pronto nos abracemos hasta al amanecer. That's life. In my conversation alone, I talk about limits, what the body can withstand to keep from breaking down in tears. A glass of wine followed by a stimulant, a green tea, substances that warm the body and those that cool it. We should look for the balance. I miss you a lot. Although today I'm dedicated to my daughter, her anticipated departure I've already mentioned in my poems. It's cold. I hope that you're well and that you find love in these verses and that soon we'll embrace until dawn. I think my daughter is listening to this emission, so I send you my love, Lola. And, uh, and you know, she appears in my poems from time to time. Yes, uh, and obviously one of the the inspirations, uh, the root causes. Love, of course, is a, is 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 romantic. It's it's familial. It's um, spiritual. It's ecological. It's it's a very broad and deep uh, emotion. And and the book has a very sweeping approach. You know, so you'll find. And hear poems um, that could be called uh, love poems to the earth, love poems to one's child, love poems to one's lover, and and so on. Um, Michael, yes, I, you're all yours. 
All right. Now, I could feel the raw passion, the raw emotion. Do you think that someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Yeah. You know, the poet, uh, famous poet once said, I think it was Keats or Shelley, uh, poetry is emotion recollected in tranquility, you know. But you need that emotion and to recollect it later when you're tranquil enough that you can write it down, you know, in verses and meters and, and in some kind of order and logic um, or, or the opposite of logic. I mean, I, you, but the thing is to write it down. And, and yes, the emotions are strong uh, that lead to the poems. I, it's hard for me to imagine an emotionless poem, you know, a poem devoid of emotion that does not spring from the emotions. Um, I think poems come from where emotions meet uh, logic, you know. They come from that uh, clashing uh, of the different parts of the brain and the heart, and, uh, and, and they're born in that, in that meeting. And it's, it's like tectonic plates uh, whiplashing each other and causing an earthquake. I mean, it's a, it's a sa- sorry metaphor at this time of sadness where yes. uh, Haiti has just been devastated by another a major quake and so much loss and yet um, the earthquake, the quaking in the heart, the quaking the, the, the overriding emotion uh, the volcanic eruption, this is all part of, of loving and it's all part of the energy energy is eternal delight William Blake once wrote you know and yes poets poets tap into that energy and and write from it uh, so i think um it's hard for me to imagine a poem uh or at least writing a poem that is does not tap into that not energy emotion. yeah so you know, i agree that there are poems like that uh, go ahead. you know this is this is a call-in show and we have a caller the number is six four six seven eight seven one six three one and the caller their number is 212-864. You're on the air with Indran. Good evening. Hello. Hello. I'm glad to be here and to hear this reading. Thank you so much. Yes. Do you have a question for Indran? No, I did not have a question. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for calling in. I really appreciate it. Yes. Indrid, I'd never asked you before whether you came from a literary background or not. Well, yes. I mean, my dad uh, was a poet and, and a literary critic. He was also a diplomat, so I've sort of adopted all of those uh, professions that, that he practiced. And uh, and my great-uncle was a poet and a editor of a poetry magazine called Poetry London, which was the only poetry magazine publishing during the war, during the Second World War in England at the time. And it was really an important uh, source of culture and and light, you know, in during that dark period. And uh, so I had those models in my my life growing up. Uh, When we, I was born in the island of Ceylon, And moved to uh, London when I was eight years old, and uh, and that's when I met Tambi Muttu, my great uncle, for the first time. 
And then I heard the stories about his work with proselytizing with poetry through my dad, who was his friend, and and, relate, and so we he would come home for dinner once a week. And even though I was very young, I was I could see the the poet this wild shock of white hair and this um, great uh, loquacious man and uh, who also had a fair amount to drink as well, I must admit, um, the scotch, uh, which is a popular drink in, in the tropics, you know, in, yes. Ceylon, in Sri Lanka um, and in England at the time. And so, yeah, so I had this image of the poet, the romantic, the, with the wild hair and, 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 and talking through the night, you know, uh, mm-hmm. reciting through the night. And early on in my life, yeah. How does this book fit into your career as a writer? Well, I'm just thrilled by this book. You know, it's such a beautifully produced book. Bill Lavender, the publisher, has done an amazing job. I'm just very grateful to Dialogos uh, for the care that they've spent to taken with the edition, and uh, to Jennifer Rathburn for her translations and and. It's an unusual book because it's a, it's it's myself looking at myself in a sort of complex mirror, you know, through the mm-hmm. through another language. I, I, I'm hearing myself, and yet it's it's not I, it's myself and not myself, you know. Uh, I mean, I wrote the poems in Spanish, yes. That, that is, I suppose, a kind of sanctity to the original language, but then uh, they're transformed in English and. Uh, they become something else, something, a strange beauty is born somehow, you know, and I, so I'm grateful. Uh, I, I love the experience of collaborating, you know, and reviewing. Um, I, I'm a actor by, uh, from early on in my life. Uh, I used, my f- first career in high school was, was stay the stage. And then <laughs> I then became oh. a, a poet. So, and, uh, the translation is like a, a kind of a theater. You know, you, you, you see the poem uh, put on new clothes in, in, the, uh, in the translated language and, uh, and perform. So it's, it's a lovely experience. And I'm, I think readers will, uh, I hope, will enjoy that experience as well. Well, you know, that's, that's one of my questions to you. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? My speaking voice and my and my writing, my written voice yes. is that yes. Yeah. What is the relationship? A good question. I mean, I I I think that um, poetry is is to be heard, and you know it may be heard out loud, uh, or it may be heard by the inner ear, you know, as one's reciting it. But I'm I I I, I have that that oral sensation, oral, A-U-R-A-L sensation with the poem when I write it. And, um, and then the poetry channel this in, that I do on YouTube, which where I invite poets to send poems, poetry videos and publish them. And, and that's also part of that oral tradition, you know. So I, mm-hmm. I like hearing the poem as well as reading it on the page. I think the poem... Uh, when I was early in my life a career, I, I was told things like that I could read the poem, you know, the phone book and make it sound like uh, something <laughs> beautiful. So I mean, I, I don't know if that's true, but 
I never did spend much time reading the phone book out loud, today, <laughs> but I was told that I could do that. Yes, um, I think so, you can. <laughs> well, anyway, anyway, I learned from uh, the the experience of being an actor, uh, memorizing lines, uh, acting in Shakespeare in high school, and and but I when I got to college, I I didn't I felt I didn't have time to devote to the theatre in the way that it the time it required and so I I focused on other things including just just writing poems and and mm-hmm. and then I got involved in theater again but in music I started a, a, a punk rock band in, in college um, <laughs> with its friends and we called ourselves the end and wrote original songs and that so that was another kind of theater as well you know? yes yes um, and so yeah it has been part of my life here. Go ahead. All right. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. All right. poet. Indran, please share some more of your work. Thank you very much. Very kind of you to to say uh, I don't I'll um, not quite know how to respond to that except to read. Uh, here's a poem called Saludos. Uh, another short poem, just six lines in, in both the Spanish and the English. Another thing about the translation, every, uh, the Spanish mirrors the English perfectly. I mean, there's the same number of lines, almost the same numbers of beats. It's a fascinating work of, 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 of meses, you know. Um, saludos. Adios. Que estés bien. Me voy. Tonterías del corazón herido. Deseo insatisfecho. Reclamos inesperados. Deja que el tiempo sane todo. Y las mareas renueven la arena. Que sea puro bla- grano blanco para otra pareja en camino. Por el mar. Greetings. Goodbye. I wish you well. I'm leaving. Idiocies from a wounded heart, unsatisfied desire, unexpected complaints. Let time heal everything and may the waves renew the sand. May there only be pure white grains for another couple walking along the sea. Um, and I'll read a couple more and then um, if you like, um, you know, uh, the landscapes of this book, uh, are, I mean, there are particular places in, in Peru, in Mexico, in Argentina, and in the United States. And one of the places uh, uh, in the mountains in somewhere near Cajamarca in Peru, uh, uh, a small town called Wari. And so here, a little poem called Alimentos Wari. 
¿Quieres un casque o tomar un punky por la tarde, indagar en la tierra por las carnes de cerdo, res, gallina quemada en las piedras de la Pachamanca? Me quedo con ganas de caminar al borde de la laguna Uruguay recogiendo porongos, corriendo como una gacela hacia el mirador para hacer contigo ahí lo que la primavera promete por todas partes a los poetas de corazón abierto. Nourishment, worry. Would you like some kashki or to drink a punki in the afternoon, delve into the earth through pork, beef, chicken, meats burned on the rocks of Pachamanca? I still want to walk along the brim of the Puruai Lagoon, gathering gourds, running like a gazelle towards the lookout point, to do with you there what spring promises everywhere, to poets with open hearts. There's a reference there, thank you, to a, a poem by Pablo Neruda from his 20 poems, De Amor, 20 po love poems and a song of despair, uh, about the, the cherry trees and the wind. And, uh, so, you know, also when one writes, one invokes poems by poets who've, who've taught us, who, who, who live again in our own expressions, in our verbal expressions, our, the way we... And, and so that's, there's no such thing as an original poem in a sense, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Shakespeare is in one's language, and Neruda and, and others, and as I write... Um, Here's another poem called Hay que comer semillas. Los buitres esperan carne recién muerta o todavía con vida. En nuestros tiempos de confesiones públicas por las redes sociales, sus olfatos husmean las declaraciones y se aterrizan en el campo de los muertos, solo que no reconocen o a ellos no les importan las otras aves que vuelan en el mismo cielo, aves, ángeles, guardianes, que hacen su labor de buscar alimentos para sus nidos, son vegetarianas, comen semillas, nuez, pestilos, muestran otro camino para el hombre, una solución gentil al dilema de cómo sobrevivir mientras las aves rapaces muerden, desgarran, sacan los ojos. We'll have to eat seeds. Vultures wait for meat, freshly dead or still alive. In our times of public confessions on social media, their sense of smell sniffs declarations and they land on the field of the dead, but don't recognize or don't care about the other birds that fly in the same sky. Birds, angels, guardians that do their job looking for food for their nests. They're vegetarians, eat seeds, nuts, pistols. They show man another way, a gentle solution to the dilemma of how to survive while the birds of prey bite, claw, tear out our eyes. Uh, my apologies for that rather <laughs> graphic finish. No, beautiful. What, what moves you to write a poem, my friend? What's the well, core impulse a, in you? The core impulse. Yeah. The core impulse, I guess it's absence, you know. 
it's filling uh, an emptiness. It's filling it with light, filling it with music, filling it with with blood, filling it with uh, water, um, and and making it whole again. You know, so it's uh, making the sack, uh, the empty sack, uh, brimming again, the pond brimming again with life. You know, that has been dried up. So writing the poem is almost is a life giving act, life affirming and life giving act. It, it replenishes the parched earth. It, you know. So in that sense, it's. Um, it, I always say that poems release endorphins. Writing them, you know, they help oh, wow. you um, um, be leaner and healthier. But uh, they do actually fill that emptiness. And I, where, why, why emptiness? I, I don't know. I mean, I think of the even the Christian God and uh, the Bible, where there is an emptiness, then the darkness, and then it's filled with you know, stars, and then it's filled with earth, and it's filled. so there's this sense of uh, filling the emptiness, peopling it. Uh, make, um, I, I, I don't pretend uh, to be the a, a particular god, but you know there is a, a a line about poets that they that they pretend, you know, a little bit, you know, like Vidobro uh, mm-hmm. used to say, the poet is um, Pequeño Dios, a small god, right? A little creator. Wow. um, You You know, some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it, Indra? Well, you know, I've... um, Allen Ginsberg, when I first met him when I was 17, he told me he took a poem of mine and he cut out about half of it. And he said, this is what I do with my with my poems. I cut half the first draft out. That's 50% of the words. That's a, that's a severe edit job, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it was hard for me to believe that he did that with every poem he wrote. But but it was it's a useful instruction, I think, and it stayed with me. Um, in terms of uh, uh, revising and, and polishing one's work. But I've lost, uh, can you re- tell me again, you, you want me to ask about the, uh, can you ask a question again, please? I'm sorry. Yes, I've, yes yeah. no problem. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it. Uh, other right. Meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. Well, look, I just had this experience yesterday of writing a poem, or was it on Sunday? Yes. And I wrote this poem, and I wrote it, and I rewrote it, and I rewrote it. I must have gone through six versions of the poem. And and I sent it to a, 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 the New Verse News, which publishes poems about sort of contemporary events. And it was about the, the earthquake in, in Haiti, and the poem is called Rebuilding. And... Um, the fifth version, I, I think I sent it to the website as a contribution three times. I, I had to apologetically send, you know, my, my deepest my apologies for resending this poem, but I've touched it up again. So one could, uh, editing is, a, you know, you have, to, uh, you have to stop at some point. And, yes. um, but this particular book is a good example of, of editing because the first version of it, when Turner Azul, when it was published in 2016, I mean, I'm very happy with it, but it's it's been improved, I believe, in this the Spanish as you know as in working with 
with Jennifer on the translations, I, uh, I ended up uh, modifying, uh, you know, some of the Spanish poems, Spanish originals. And I, I think I'm, that's why I'm so thrilled about this book, because it, it benefits from that, match, that maturing process of time and, and a revision by, by more eyes and ears. And, you know, mm-hmm. and um, so I think if you can do that to your poem, uh, go ahead, you know. Uh, I think, though, that there is a point of diminishing returns where you can edit so much that you lose some of the original. You might lose an idea or you might lose a metaphor. And, and only you can tell, really. You must make that final decision when to, to release the poem. But um, the general principle of revision I support and, and value and, and would, would advise to any, any poet. Uh, to go through that process, and if possible, to go through it with somebody else, yes. uh, another another poet, for example, or or someone you trust, to read your work and give you his or her um, uh, interpretation and, and comments. Um, that has been a lifeline for me, especially writing outside of English and Spanish and French, in the languages I write in, in Portuguese and Haitian Creole. I've always uh, depended on friends and and so much depends, you know, William Carlos Williams wrote that little poem, so much depends on a red wheelbarrow glazed by rainwater beside the white chickens. And that's considered sort of the, the origin of imagist poetry. Well, I, I just say so much depends on, on that sharing of the poem with, with a friend, you know, so much depends on that friend's commentary coming back to you. The poem depends on that sharing. The poem improves because of that crossing over into somebody else's mind and, and consciousness and, and the return trip back, you know. So uh, it's a positive. Now, does writing energize or exhaust you? I think it energizes me. Um, Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me about it. Uh, there are some days that are just maybe it's a kind of manic day but I mean I would write especially if it's obviously if it's a weekend or something when I have time I might write uh, you know a half a dozen poems in the day and then in half in three different languages I mean just it sometimes just happens and I'm just amazed by that experience then the next day will come and and nothing you know so there is an exhaustion I suppose the next day you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you have so much adrenaline flowing and you're producing and you're producing. Inevitably, you, your body uh, gets tired and you need a break. And uh, so if you can manage that energy in a, in a reasonable way, I think that's, um, that's the best way to go. I mean, I, it's not worth uh, causing some cataclysm in your a heart attack or some problem uh, for a poem. If you know what I mean, I mean yeah, balance. I find the balance is, is I think important, and find and and including sleep in your day, and uh, but really, uh, there's it's a thrill to be able to 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 play with these uh, the sounds of words. It's musical language is what I what I like to write. You know, I, I think of words in poems uh, just like lyrics and songs, and so I. I dance the poem, I sing the poem, mm. but, 
And I've also done music. I mean, in the sense that I've recorded an album with musicians. And when I was in Haiti at the end of my stay, we recorded an album called Rencontre Dut, which means meeting in August or, 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 but also there's a play on the word doubt there. So mm-hmm. some of those poems will, I've translated into English and they will come out eventually next year in a book, both in Creole and English. So it, look, uh, Bob Dylan for me is a, is a poet and, and a musician. Leonard Cohen is a poet and a musician, you know, I, yeah. I don't, I don't worry about, uh, I mean, I don't see, I don't classify one in one category and, and say that he, he or she is not in the other. They're all part of this uh, uh, praise singing and condemnation too, because we mm-hmm. we have lots of things to condemn as well through our work, <laughs> as as well as to praise. You know, the earth mm-hmm. is boiling and yet the earth is being renewed. You know, every new baby on the planet is a potential savior for all of us you know and yet yes. uh, we wonder whether we should be having any more babies given the uh, given the state of affairs and the, the lack of resources and the disappearing of so many species disappearance of so many species and um, so this is the challenge the contradiction the contradictory impulse you know uh, mm-hmm. Whitman wrote you know uh, about that and uh, and Eliot and, and so many. I mean, we, it's, it's, it's the dilemma. And the blue window is a sort of attempt at, at uh, showing the dilemma uh, in, and letting, I hope readers uh, will enjoy the reflection that will come from spending mm-hmm. some time with these poems. Well, please share some more of your work. Um, thank you. I would be happy to, uh, let's see. Um, there's a poem um, here. Uh, let, let me go to this. Uh, it's called uh, in the Spanish, Renacer. La soledad es una ilusión, ya sabemos. Aún en la distancia nos amamos y podemos beber y comer, satisfacer las necesidades de los cuerpos donde nuestros espíritus están hospedados durante este paso por la tierra y la familia humana. Mañana moriremos y renaceremos. ¿Estás lista para saltar del charco con grito de rana? Rebirth. Solitude is an illusion. We know now, even in the distance, we love each other and we can drink and eat, satisfy bodily needs where our spirits dwell during this passage through earth and the human family. Tomorrow we will die and be reborn. Are you ready to jump from the puddle with a frog's cry? And then um, here is another one called Canto en doce renglones. Song in 12 lines. I'll just read the English this time. What's true? What no one can oppose with an argument derived from necessity or pressure or fear of solitude, what doesn't interest the neighbor occupied with his own tasks, but yes, the command of the senses that jury Cupid appeals to every night with his conquests of the day. 
It's a fact that any time we talk, baby birds awaken in every nest of the skin to sing their sweet hunger, their desire to be pampered. Like I with you, these verses conceived at dawn when I wake and you're gone. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, 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 sometimes one surprises oneself reading over a poem, you know, you'd, you'd forgotten that I'd forgotten those baby words, birds awakening, you know, in every nest. Yes. Of the skin. Um, yes. And then, uh, uh, maybe I'm um, looking for a couple more to, yes. to read. Before. Uh, you know, one of the poets I, I've learned from, his name is Nicanor Para, Chilean poet who passed away mm-hmm. just uh, three years ago um, in 2017 at, 103. Could you imagine? He lived 103 oh, wow. years. He was born in 1914. And I visited him in Santiago in 1995 when I worked, when I went abroad for the first time as a diplomat to Buenos Aires. And, and then I took some holiday and I went over to Chile. And uh, he was very kind. He invited me to stay for dinner. And I wrote this poem later on after visits with him in or in other visits to Chile. Uh, so I saw him several times over the years, and this poem is called Un Fracaso, Una Mariposa. Cuando Dicano me invitó a cenar ostiones y tomar cabinet en su casa de madera en la reina, conversamos en aquel 1995 de su visita a Nueva Delhi y de su apego a la idea hinduista de dejar los lazos familia, bienes, sexo, y caminar un mendigo por las calles antes de llegar al bosque para esperar el aleteo de la mariposa, su luz enseguecedora. Diez años después, otra visita con el poeta, esta vez en las cruces, ante el océano, y me pidió que leyera a Antonin Artaud sobre lo absurdo en la vida moderna. Otra vez nos acordamos de la mariposa. Cuatro años más tarde me dijo que le acompañara a su estudio en el jardín al lado de la casa, mi único camino ahora. Viviendo un poemario mío en su estante, me comentó que le encantó el título, El infierno de los pájaros. Llega ahora la noticia de que le han otorgado el premio Cervantes. A sus 97 años, pienso si va a romper con su camino de costumbre y tomar el avión a Madrid. A todo debe tener la respuesta, o el mendigo hindú o nadie. Me dibujó un regalo aquella primera vez, dice el lema, cada uno fracasa a su manera. A failure, a butterfly. When Nicanor invited me to dine on oysters and drink Cabernet in his house of wood in La Reina, we spoke in that 1995 of his visit to New Delhi and his adherence to the Hindu idea of leaving ties, family, goods, sex, and walking a beggar through the streets before arriving at the forest to wait for the butterfly to beat her wings, her blinding light. Ten years later, another visit with the poet, this time in Las Cruces, before the sea, and he asked me to read Antonin Artaud 
about the absurd and modern life. Once again, we remembered the butterfly. Four years later, he told me to accompany him to his studio in the garden next to his house, my only path now. And seeing a poetry book of mine on his shelf, he commented that he loved the title, El Infierno de los Pajaros. Now that news arrives, he's been awarded the Cervantes Prize. At 97 years, I wonder if he will break his customary path and take a plane to Madrid. Arto should have the answer, or the Hindu beggar, or no one. He drew me a gift that first time. The motto says, everyone fails in his own way. <laughs> I love that line. Cada uno fracasa su manera. Everyone fails in his own way. Wow. And uh, anyway, you see, Narud, Menikudo was a great joker, you know, and mm-hmm. you can find his poems published by in English by New Directions. And... Um, I've learned a lot from the Chilean poets, from Neruda, Nicanor Para, Vicente Widobro, Gabriel Mistral. Uh, as a diplomat, uh, I'm obviously an American diplomat, but I went to Chile because Neruda went to my own home country, uh, birth country place, which is Ceylon, mm-hmm. as a young diplomat when he was a young man. And so it, I was always curious about doing the repeat journey, you know, traveling to his faraway Chile as a diplomat. I never quite served in Chile, but I worked in Argentina next door and, and in Peru. Uh, and uh, anyway. Well, do you think that you were meant to be a poet? I don't know, but I know that I was having trouble with um, understanding what to do when a girl took my hand and I had I was scared. Uh, straight or stiff or something I didn't I had no idea and I had to go home and I had to deal with this this emotion and this sense of shame and I, because I was so unprepared you know and mm-hmm. and then I started writing a poem I think and out of that uh, emotion and uh, and I think the poem helped um, me to you know balance myself and you know set out, go back to school the next day and face the, the potential hand, you know, waiting for me. Well, here's a question for you. Who are you as a result of writing poetry? Well, I've become a poet and I've become a, a singer and I've become a, a, a sort of a kind of a preacher, I suppose. I mean, a lake uh, preacher, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe in the ceremony of, of the word and and the ceremony of the gathering of around the word, you know. So it's not mm-hmm. a mass, but it's a, it, the poetry reading has a kind of uh, uh, religious sense to it for me. Um, and it's it's a very special experience. A community goes the same around the fireplace, you know, telling stories around the fireplace. It's a social act for me, the poem. It's the sharing of the poem is, is is essential to the to the writing of the poem. If it's not shared, it's it it's it's it, it it's stultified. It's it's yes. that's why I, I even when I write a poem, even ten minutes after I finish the draft, I feel compelled to share it with 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 a friend. Or you know, I it's important for me that the sharing and the poem becomes public then, 
and belongs to the community. It's a community. It, it's part of the polis, which, you know, polis, that word poli, is the root of politics. It's also the root of community. It's a community business, a community matter. Yeah. And uh, so I've become a poet. I've become a preacher. I've become a, a sharer of, of, of a certain uh, kind of uh, magical gift that yes. comes from the muse. Yeah. Yes, I was just thinking that you're a magical man. I'm thoroughly enthralled by your conversation in terms of your sharing about the art and craft of poetry. It's been a phenomenal night for me. I am, I'm, I'm just, just totally impressed. Totally. Well, I'm just very grateful to you. As I always am. Let me just say, you're doing an amazing service uh, to the word and sharing with this program. I mean. This is number 176, I think, and that's, if you add up 176, you make 14, and that's 14 lines, and I've been playing with 14 line <laughs> poems of late, so <laughs> I hope I'm number 176. I hope I'm you are, you are number 176. <laughs> you are definitely number 176. <laughs> I'd have to write a book called 176, 176. You and I, or a poem at least. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. Right. Thank you. Thank you. We are back. I'm here with Indran. You know, Indran, when I listen to you, to be quite honest with you, sometimes you sound as if you're world-weary. World-weary. How does that fit into what you're, what you're sharing tonight? Well, I mean, there's a, a sense of exhaustion. I think we're all, we're all living at the moment through this pandemic and this um, cataclysms that are, that are taking place everywhere. You know, the earthquake now in Haiti, which is a country I'm, I'm very close to and love and people I love. And, and then this, um, this uh, the situation in Afghanistan and then yes. the, 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 the fires in, in Oregon and in British Columbia and, and in Greece. I mean, you just, you just could start, if you start opening that envelope, you know, all kinds mm-hmm. of uh, spirits and uh, genies uh, come rushing out, you know, and startling you, and you wonder what what are we doing? So if you're a poet, you write, you have to respond somehow to this, but you you get tired, you know. You, yes. You, it took me a day and a half. It took me a while to sort of absorb my feelings about what had just happened in Haiti, for example, with the with the the earthquake, and then the earlier the killing of the president. Of the assassination, yes. 
and 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 then eventually but my only response is to write I, okay. I don't know other people have other responses you know uh, there are different ways to to heal and to restore uh, I don't pretend that a poet is going to a poem is going to bring bread to somebody but it brings I suppose a kind of metaphoric bread the spiritual uh, food and in that sense I hope it's useful to the healing and the restoration process which we have to do as a people as a world people you know after mm-hmm. these these tragedies but yes we must also recognize that there is a sort of exhaustion that we need to acknowledge and uh, and address and you know get up and and do 50 jumping jacks you know <laughs> well, I, think that's a, <laughs> I think that's a very healthy way to think about it that writing does allow you an opportunity to to pour out your feelings on paper on whether you're typing it or not just to get it out of your system is so 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 important so yes important. yeah yeah so important so important we have time for one more set of poems indran okay um why don't I read this? Uh, I'll start with this poem, Viaje. Um, Estamos de viaje, cada uno por su cuenta, tú hacia la montaña, yo al mar, tú con nuevos amigos y con tiempo para reflexionar, yo a ver a mi hija, el fruto del pasado, y a unos amigos todavía en este lado del mar, no sé qué provecho sacar del contraste, montaña, mar, amigos nuevos, una hija alta y bella, casi un adolescente a punto de despegar. ¿A dónde? A una nueva ciudad, al futuro que le espera otra vez en el padre. A mí no me gusta lo impermanente y darme cuenta del límite de la costa. ¿Qué opciones me quedan? No regresar. No dar algún consejo a este ser vivo al que ayudé a caminar. Guardar el silencio cuando cada memoria quiere hablar. Trip. Mm. We're on a trip, each one of us on our own. You towards the mountain, I to the sea. You with new friends and time to reflect. I to see my daughter, fruit of the past, and a few friends still on this side of the sea. I don't know how to take advantage of the contrast, mountains, sea, new friends, a tall and beautiful daughter, almost an adolescent, ready to take off, where to, a new city, to a future that awaits her again without her father. I don't like the impermanent and realize the limits of the coast. What options are left for me? Not return, not give some advice to this living being, whom I helped teach to walk, keep silent when every memory wants to talk. En pocas palabras todos. Nacen, crecen, se enamoran, se decepcionan, sobreviven, se enamoran, sobreviven, se alegran, dejan de crecer, disminuyen, se mueren. In a few words, Everyone is born, grows, falls in love, is disillusioned, survives, 
falls in love, survives, is happy, stops growing, diminishes, dies. And I'll finish with illusion. Detrás de la estación de Repsol caminamos hacia el parque donde con nuestras manos entrelazadas nos enamoramos. Y de esa primera tarde la estación se volvió la pierna y el encuentro de un amor hecho de caminatas hacia múltiples espacios verdes de esta ciudad brumosa construida al lado de aguas friolentas y de estaciones de combustible, un amor moderno que dependía del transporte público y privado para dejarnos cerca de Alameda, donde en otra ciudad de América un hombre solía pasear con su amarillo. Eres el mar, el árbol, el camino de piedras, el olor a gasolina. Soy el feligrés, el explorador, el representante de países lejanos, donde otros amores nacen en sus propios parques, al lado de las aguas que rodean a todos, aun en medio del desierto, como aquel de Paracas, dejo mi cargo, entro al mar, dejas tus arrecifes de coral y tus formaciones rocosas, donde se han hundido los barcos para abrumar la costa, Treinta y cinco mil hombres fueron borrados de la costa sri-lanquesa ese día del tsunami. Déjame ser uno más. Illusion. Behind the Repsol station we walk towards the park where with our hands intertwined we fell in love. And from that first afternoon the station became the leg and encounter of a love made of walks towards multiple green spaces in this hazy city built next to freezing waters and gas stations, a modern love that depended on public and private transport to take us closer to the Alameda, where in another city in America, a man used to walk around with his armadillo. You are the sea, the tree, the stone road, the smell of gasoline. I am the parishioner, the explorer, the representative of distant countries, where other loves arise in their own parks, next to waters surrounding everyone, even in the middle of the desert, like that of Farrakis. I leave my post, I enter the sea. You leave your coral reefs and your rock formations where boats have sunk to overwhelm the seashore. 35,000 men were erased from the Sri Lankan coast that day of the tsunami. Let me be one more. Mm. And uh, you know, I I don't know if there's a minute or two, but yes, um, I could read what's actually I put in the last poem in the book, and it's a it's a poem that takes its metaphor from from football, from soccer, the, the that other kind of football, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, and uh, it's a simple poem. It's called Esperando el Segundo Tiempo. Waiting for the second half. Si es solo un juego y depende de un hombre árbitro. Y los hinchas vienen de la casa cuyo equipo anfitrión tiene el respaldo. Es una droga. Hay decisiones erróneas, malditas. Y finalmente es la tristeza de ver a un equipo defenestrado 
jugar el resto del partido. Espera, todavía y siempre tendremos el segundo tiempo. Waiting for the second half. Yes, it's only a game and depends on a human referee. And the fans cheer for the team with the home field advantage. It's a drug. There are bad, cursed calls. And finally, the sadness of seeing a team produced in number play out the rest of the game. Wait. Now and always, we will have the second half. So, wow, that's it. Now and always, we will have the second half. We will have the second half. What did you learn about yourself by writing Blue Window? What did you learn about yourself? Whether it's based on the translation or just the original version, what did you learn about yourself? I learned that, that there will always be a second half. And and that's why I'm an optimist, uh, despite being a, a pessimist at the same time, you see. Okay. Uh, I, I believe in the second half. I believe in in restoration and and recovery. After the earthquake, after the murder, after the loss of your country, after um, whatever uh, calamity has befallen you and the people you write for and the people you write about, uh, there is always the second half. There is always the chance uh, to recover, to create again, to build again. Uh, it may be in a different country. It may be, uh, but then you realize that there are no borders, that the earth is just a, 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 a planet that's whirling in time and in space. Mm-hmm. And that there are billions of other worlds out there. And so, you know, I think of my son who, who inspires me because he, he, he reminds me of that, of those billions of other worlds. And, and the possibility that, you know, if we can just harness the energy of the sun, we could solve our problem of um, climate uh, change-induced, uh, uh, you know, apocalyptic, uh, slow progress towards apocalypse we can stop it and the human mind is is limitless and the hope of the second half is limitless and so i even though you are limited by your mm-hmm. body you're you're limited by your experiences you're also before the possibility of of getting rid of those limits of having this amazing uh chance to 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 recover and to soar. So I, I, I have that hope and I have that optimism and I have that faith. And that's what poetry has gives me and feeds me. And oh, wow. even though love can be tough, yes, <laughs> lead to loss. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, was that uh, book by Milton, Paradise Lost, but then I think the last book was Paradise Regained, you know. Mm -hmm. What is next for you creatively? Well, I have this book of poems I wrote in Creole, which I've translated into English, and Mad Hat Press is going to publish the book next year. And then I have a book called 10,000 Steps Against the Tyrant, which is a book of poems written in the 2020 period. It's the book of political poems, of poems of engagement uh 
and so and but but they're personal poems you know i mm-hmm. i don't think they're jargon filled they're metaphor filled instead and so i hope these these two projects are there and then translations i'm translating poets from different languages including Pauline Leroy, a Chilean poet, and and um, Anna Guijot, an Argentine poet, and I'm just starting to translate Kenya Kano, a Mexican poet. And so I'm really thrilled by these experiences of translating. I, I too, am, have become a translator, and Joy Melo from Portuguese, from Angola. So it really feeds me, but I'm, I have a lot of projects that Katia Sofia Hakim from France, Chema Pazgago from Galicia. So lots of projects uh, on the, they're not all finished or, or, but they're on their way, you know? Yes. So I've got lots to, to work on. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank you for spending time with us tonight. Uh, I view you as being the Pied Piper of poetry. <laughs> You, well, I hope I'm not leading, leading people <laughs> into the sea. <laughs> I want no. people to stop right at the show. No, you. <laughs> but You're can I just say very... to a better place, to a better place, and better, uh, a right. better understanding of the world. That's Thank why I you do my my Piper. <laughs> I do want. I do want to say, uh, come and visit the Poetry Channel. Look up Indran and YouTube. And you'll find it on uh, online, and also the Beltway Poetry Quarterly, which I edit with the, the poet Sarah K. Hildmarin, and l- look forward to your contribution. So, you know, it's yeah. it's uh, yeah. Thank you for the Pied Piper, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's another you poem I have to write now. <laughs> In a positive sense now. It's a positive <laughs> I'm going to write a poem called 176 and Pied Piper. <laughs> All right. Well, again, I'd like to thank you for sharing your time with us tonight. I'd also like to thank our listening audience for tuning in weekly. Poetry, as I've shared before many, many times, is so important. And what I want you to do is to be safe, stay healthy, and let poetry ring. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Good night. Good night, my friend. Thank you. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.